Good morning. If you're able, would you stand as I read the passage um, that Mike's going to be preaching from as we uh, revere God's word? Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel And those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, 
It's really a joy to be here this morning as I was getting to worship back there and really experience the music and think of what I was hoping to say this morning and all the things that have happened this week. Um, we serve a powerful God, right? Like I'm, so I'm so excited to be jumping into this passage with you. Uh, this morning, we're getting to uh, study all of Acts chapter 3, as you heard Joel read, which apparently was an undertaking that Matt wasn't willing to do a whole chapter in one day. So that's why I'm here. Uh, maybe it has something to do with how fast I talk, so we'll see. But, uh, but really, um, I'm excited about this opportunity. Um, the story is told of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, he was an incredibly influential philosopher and theologian of the 13th century. And he once called upon Pope Innocent II, uh, who was counting a large sum of money. And uh, the Pope looks at him and says, You see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. True, holy father, was the reply. Neither can she now say, rise up and walk. Which is both really humorous and painful at the same time. As I began to study this passage, I began, uh, I, was, I had to wrestle with the question, why don't we see what we hear in this story around us? Why, why is my Christian life different? But rather than dwell on the differences and rather than us consider why, as Thomas Aquinas observed, uh, that um, the church does not appear, at least in our culture in the West, have the same sort of power uh, that the church in Acts did, I, I believe there's a lot that we can learn from this. And so I hope that we have a chance to look at this passage and ask uh, three questions and hopefully answer those three questions as we discover what it could look like. The first question is, how is this man healed? Second question is, why did it happen this way? And the third question is, what does this mean for us? So let's talk about the first question, why, sorry, how this man was healed. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Peter and John are going up to the temple, it's three in the afternoon, and uh, some people carried this man to this gate. Uh, he was not able to move on his own, but there was a, a chance that it was either 9 a.m. or 3 p.m., the two times of prayer. Someone brought him there and put him there because that's when people would be coming and going. And he's lived his whole life lame, literally the, verse, the phrase is lame from his mother's womb. So his whole life he sat there and he just begged and because of the Jewish structure, people would come and give alms. That was their way of providing for the people who needed help. And alms were basically gifts to the poor of either food or money. So his whole life, he's been receiving alms. And he's sitting there, and he reaches up, and he sees these two people, and he says, help me, basically. Come, please, I need, I need help. And Peter and John walk towards him. They hear his request. And this is where Peter takes charge. And it says he directs his gaze at him and calls him to look at them. The man fixes his attention, which I'm sure he's excited. Man, this is intense. What's going to happen? And then Peter responds in the most unusual way, a way that I'm sure this man has never heard his entire life. And he basically says, I, I have nothing of financial value to give you, which I'm sure immediately, like, the guy's heart just sinks. He's like, but what I do have is yours which is beautiful, right? Like that immediately takes me back to last week where the church was sharing all things in common. I might not have everything, but what I do have, I give to you. And so that's what's happening here. Peter looks into his eyes and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse seven says, and he took him by the right hand 
and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I just, I want us to try this morning for a moment. Um, this is amazing, right? We, it's a story that maybe you've heard before or you've heard other miracles or other healings before. Like, this is amazing. This man, his entire life had been sitting here with, with nothing, unable to move under his own power. And these guys walk up and change his life forever. And I love the way Luke talks about it because he makes it a little bit more real. He says, they reached out and grabbed his right arm. Like Luke was really specific about things like that. And immediately strength enters his, his ankles and his feet. It's like, I, I, love, I love how Luke does that because like Luke's a physician. And that sort of thing doesn't happen, right? Muscles don't spontaneously bulk up after being chronically atrophied for decades. I've tried the whole not working out thing for long periods of time. It doesn't do me any good. Maybe you've also tried. I want to encourage you. It's not how it works, but it's what happened here. And this man leaps up and begins running around, praising God like a joy-filled child. I love this picture. And then he enters the temple, which you might have missed. It was, uh, he was not allowed to enter the temple his whole life as a lame man. He would never have been allowed to go into the temple. And as a Jew, this is his first chance to go and worship God. Like, I can't imagine what's going on in his heart right now. He has got to be like just a fountain overflowing of joy and excitement. And Peter was very clear about the power of his healing, which is also cool. The man started praising God, which means he knew where it came from. But Peter was very clear. He's like, not by our own power and not by our piety. He's like, I didn't do anything special here. I haven't, I, I'm not a good person. That's not why this is working, which I hope that we can remember as well. It's not about who we are, but it's about who the faith is in, which he explains a little bit more in verse 16. He says, and his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So a couple questions, like, was it this man's faith? I mean, we can assume that he did not expect this to happen. He wasn't going to the temple believing he was going to be healed. But he did respond, right? Like Peter grabs his arm and he pulls up and like he doesn't just fall over, he, he stands up. He, he responds in some way. What about Peter and John? Is it their faith? Well, they clearly believed something was going to happen. That's why they did what they did. But what I think is great about this story is that uh, even though faith, we're not, we shouldn't be surprised by this, throughout scriptures, faith is the agent that God moves. Uh, it doesn't matter whose faith it was. Because what he says is the faith in his name. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It has nothing to do with the person, like who the faith, who, who they have, who it is that has faith, or even how much faith. It's who your faith is in. And because their faith is placed in the power of the name of Jesus, a miracle takes place. This is truly powerful. I hope, we don't, I hope we don't miss this. There is, there's a lot going on here. And uh, 
as I read this passage and studied it, I was taken to other parts of the Bible and other stories, even other things that Jesus did. But one of the most beautiful passages this took me to was in John 14. John 14 is the upper room discourse, and it's the middle where Jesus, he just finished washing his, his disciples' feet, and it's before he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the last night of his life, and he's sharing his heart with his followers, and he says this starting in verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story of Jesus, and he is um, in this house preaching, and these the religious leaders are around him. And these four guys get on the roof and lower this paralytic down through. You might be familiar with the story. So much of this story parallels what's going on here. It's beautiful. But Jesus not only has to convince them that he's the son of man by telling him his sins are forgiven, but he sa it says in the Bible, it says, because of their faith, not his faith, their faith, rise up and walk, and he heals the man. And the same response from the crowd, they are amazed. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so that, that begs the question, what does it mean to ask something in Jesus' name? I think that's, that's a really important point to make here. We've talked about this as a church before. Um, growing up, that was the way you closed prayers. It was like the sincerely at the end of a letter, uh, which didn't, the sincerely and that didn't mean anything at that time. Um, what that actually is, is it's not saying, uh, I don't know what to say here, so in Jesus' name. What it is, it's saying, okay, Lord, I have laid before you my heart. My desire now is that my prayer would be the type of prayer that you have. That when I pray something in Jesus' name, it's like, like a diplomat or like an ambassador. I'm praying the thing that you would be praying if you were here which is why Matt, when he taught a prayer a little while ago, said like, I want my prayer to be, Lord, this is what I want, but I actually want to pray the thing that I would want if I had all the information. Praying in Jesus' name is not just closing the prayer with those words. It's actually saying, Lord, may this prayer be the prayer that you would pray. Which, by the way, it doesn't mean we shouldn't say those words. I have found them to be more powerful and mean more to me when I actually think about what I'm saying. Not that I should get rid of them because they used to mean nothing. That's not what this is talking about. He's asking us, though, when you pray, pray as if I would be praying. And if you do that, I will give it to you. And in John 14, he looks at them and he says, you're going to do the things that I do, and even greater and what's so cool about this passage is this is the first time in the book of Acts that his disciples are doing the works that he did. It's the first time that they're actually performing a healing, doing a miracle. And it's beautiful because it's amazing, right? And that's exactly how the crowd saw it. See, the crowds knew this man. They recognized him. He had probably been begging there for years. There's a chance he'd been there for decades. And he is entering the temple for the first time ever, walking and leaping and praising God. And it says they were filled with amazement and wonder, like filled to the brim. Like imagine a cup that is about to tip over. It's so full 
that they're filled with amazement and wonder. They don't know what to do with themselves. They can't contain it, which is sadly not my response when I read these stories. But this is what Matt was talking about last week. Verse 43 of chapter 2, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There they were at the temple, going up, worshiping together every day, and they're doing the things that Jesus did. And what's cool, they're actually doing them in the same place, right? He had some healing, some miracles in the temple, which makes me wonder, like, were there some of the same people there? who before were like, what's going on here? And now they're like, wait a second, I've seen this before. It wasn't that long ago that he was there. I mean, this is crazy. He might have walked past that man, which, which really raises another question. Okay, <laughs> why now? Why this time? John 14, we just read, this is really important for understanding miracles. He's like, these are the things that you will do that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Miracles did not just happen because the world is broken. Like, yes, Jesus has a huge heart for undoing the work of the fall. He desperately wants to make things new again and to make things back to the way they're supposed to be. That's why he wants shalom for the world. But the reason that miracles always happened was because they were doing one of two things. They were either authenticating the person of Jesus and who sent him, or they were confirming his message. And that's exactly what's happening here. They are proclaiming healing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, authenticating who he was. And then later they're going to get to talk about it, confirming his message. But I think this raises the question we've been hinting at. Why don't we see them? Why don't we see miracles? Like, we don't. We don't don't see them around us. And if we do, we definitely don't talk about them because we don't know what to do with that. There's something about the West, and I'll say this because that's where we are, um, that we don't, as a culture, get to, as Thomas Aquinas pulled out, say, rise up and walk. At least we don't do it in public, or I think, honestly, probably we're a little bit afraid. But there's something different about this, because if you had the chance to travel anywhere in other parts of the world, outside of Europe also, um, you actually do begin to see some of this stuff. Uh, There's a a group of us, five of us are heading for uh, Ghana, uh, less than two weeks now. (laughs) Gotta get ready. Um, We're we're leaving in uh, two weeks from yesterday, and we're going to be going to Ghana. And I have been blessed to experience some amazing things in West Africa. And in West Africa, as you can probably imagine, like there's a difference of the spirituality there. Like voodoo exists and it's practiced. Uh, There are spells and fetish priests. And uh, I had an experience a number of years ago to talk to one of uh, the missionaries who said, if we go into a village where we're not uh, uh, spiritually prepared, we could die. And they, and they had to be aware, like, spiritual things are real. And if they were able to go in and up to the fetish priest and his magic didn't work on them, it proved that Jesus was more powerful and the gospel was presented and people came to know Jesus because of it. But we don't see that here. But even in India, I was talking to Sanjith David, it happens there. Healings take place. Demons are cast out. And I think the biggest reason why we don't experience it is our culture, not saying that our culture is wrong or bad or broken. It is, but all cultures are. So, um, but Satan doesn't have to indwell and empower people the same way. Because I, 
miracles wouldn't do the same thing. In fact, I'm actually wondering if there are miracles and we just don't call them that. We live in a culture that has gotten to the place where we can scientifically explain almost everything. There is nothing left to chance. There is nothing that allows me to have some sort of hope of the supernatural. And so even when it happens to me, I can be like, well, no, that's the odds. Crazy, right? Like, and yet, I, I, as I was studying this week, I was like, have I explained away a miracle? Have I taken the glory that God had for himself in a moment and been like, I don't know what to do with this. This is weird. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that over here and just cool, but I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. I really firmly believe if we actually stopped and began to reflect and think in our lives, God has shown up. And we can't look at this culture in ancient Near Eastern uh, Israel and say, well, they're just superstitious. Like, of course they saw it as miracles. Like, they're not. That is just not true. They were equally as skeptical, if not potentially more so. Just last chapter, Peter and the disciples and the apostles are speaking in tongues, and they're looking for a logical explanation. They must be drunk, which is a little illogical if the languages are actual languages, but whatever. And, but they're trying to find a way to make it make sense in their world, and that's exactly what we do. It's not that different. And the other thing I think we read these books, we read these uh, stories and acts and immediately we're like, well, this is crazy. This happened all the time. It didn't happen all the time. They're just telling the stories because they're amazing stories. But if you were living it, it wasn't a daily or an hourly occurrence. It just wasn't. But when they saw it, they stopped and they give, they give credit to it because they knew what it was. And I think another part of the fact that it wasn't happening all the time, because it wasn't happening all the time there, was that there were people who were walked past, which might be the most difficult part for us. Because I think it'd be easier for us to find stories of times when healing didn't happen, right? Like, I think right now, every single one of you can connect in that way faster than you can connect to the guy being healed, because you're like, yeah, he didn't show up. And all I can say for that, because I've been there, I know what it's like for him not to do the thing that you're begging him to do. And all I can say for you is what he did for Mary and Martha in John 11 is what he offers to us. He was there. Their brother Lazarus had died, and he's weeping with them. The son of God weeping with these two women over the loss of their brother. And he weeps with us because it's not the way it was supposed to be. And in times like that, because I can imagine that there are a number of you in this room right now who are actually in the middle of a time like that, whether you've been in it in the past or it's coming like potentially in the middle of it, I pray that you can surround yourself with other men and women who can look at you and remind you of these three things. These three things have been really powerful for me recently. That God is real. That his word is true and that he is good. And I don't know how that strikes you right now. I don't want it to be insensitive. But I pray that we have people, godly men and women around us, when life is really hard, that can say those things to us, that God is real, that his word is true, and that he is good. 
So this man was healed. It's going back to the story. But the question is, why did it happen this way? There's a thread that is uh, unseen and a little unique. Um, as, I've, as I've studied this passage, it becomes more and more clear the more you look for it. But there's something kind of underlying all of it. And I believe it helps answer a lot of the questions we've had and some of the questions that I, I think you will have. Um, but things like, okay, like, what makes this unique? Why now? Why did Peter and John stop here? Why did they decide to talk to this man? I'm assuming there's actually others there who aren't being healed, right? Why, why, why is this the way this is happening? And the text does not give a very clear answer. But what it does do is it presents a scene. It kind of gives us like some, okay, we, in chapter two, they're all doing all things together and they're worshiping, so they're going to the temple. And Peter and John are, are there, it looks like they're prepared for anything, um, but there's no indication of a, of a plan here. I'm opposite of Matt, I don't love plans. So I'm like, yes, Peter, all right, no plans, let's go, just start walking. There's no plan of healing, it seems, and yet he's ready for it. Because he walks up, this healing takes place, and it kind of helps us see what's going on here. In verse 11, it says, while he, this was the man who was healed, clung to Peter and John, which I love that picture. Can you imagine this man, like, holding on for dear life? He's like, please don't go away. I don't know what's going to happen if you leave me. Please stay here. This is amazing. And this man, as he's clinging to them, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. The picture is they're going to the temple, they, they worship God, and on their way out, everyone saw what happened, and so they're gathered because they're like, what, did you, did you see that? Did you? Yeah, that guy, that guy, the guy who was here, what's his face? And they're like, can you believe it? So why did Peter preach? Because there were people there. It's what you do, right? He was at the temple. This is a little different from the sermon a couple weeks ago because they're at the temple, so these are almost all Jews. Uh, the, the other sermon was mixed, but these are all Jews, so he's there like he's supposed to be. Why are the people gathered? Well, because they just saw this amazing miracle. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Why was the man healed? This is what I can only assume is that Peter and John were going to the temple and they felt a, a nudge, a, a, a light push in one direction for Peter and John to go talk to this man. And when he preached, why did Peter say what he said? Like, why did he go through the, resur the crucifixion that they were a part of and the resurrection and the response that needs to take place? Why did he do this? I can only believe, based on all the evidence, is that he was being led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God was in him, and we just talked about this a couple weeks ago, when it came down after the ascension, they were then filled with the Spirit of God, and then they were able to go and do the things that Jesus had done, and they were being led by the Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes down, they were then able to hear that small, still voice, or sometimes that loud, blaring command, the Spirit wanted them to go this way. And even though it's subtle, and even though it's unseen, it's there if you go looking for it. See, the Spirit of God is moving and His people are responding. And the Spirit of God is within them. And if you know Jesus, the Spirit of God is within you too. I have to keep reminding myself that, of that. I forget it on a regular basis because I'm, I get fearful. I get so afraid. 
the power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in me. And I can now live with him living through me and love with him loving through me. I have to keep remembering that. Am I listening to him? Am I asking him? Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what does it mean to, to live by the Spirit? I think that's potentially a little complex idea. Living by the Spirit is, uh, it is, yes, letting him l- guide you. It's asking the questions. But if you're like me, you hear that and you're like, that's incredibly burdensome. And I don't want it to be burdensome. What I want it to be is an invitation to start looking. Because I found myself, as I, as I asked these questions and realized that I wasn't asking them nearly as often as I wish I had, which, by the way, sanctification is a lifelong process. It doesn't happen overnight. But when I began to look for it, I would find myself in places and be like, how did I get here? How, how am I in this conversation right now? What happened? If the power of God is in me, then that means that I am constantly being led, even if I'm not aware of it. Even when I'm not asking, he is still acting. And what it makes me want to do is ask more. See, brothers and sisters, this power is accessible to us. And if we think about it, I bet we can find places where it has been. And I, again, taking off our postmodern 21st century, century lenses, we can begin to see the Spirit of God moving and acting and living around us. And that takes us to our third question, right? What does this mean for us? This man was healed. How was he healed? By, the, by faith in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Why this way? Because the Spirit was acting. And if that power and that Spirit are accessible to us, what does that mean? <laughs> Everything. It means we have all of what God offers accessible to us. These were ordinary men. They were not super uh, spiritual giants. God let them be a part of the work that he's doing, and he wants to invite us into that as well. So rather than look at this passage and immediately ask all the questions, why don't I see this? What I want us to start asking is, where are you moving, Lord? Where, Where is this actually happening? And then pray. Alfred Tennyson says, more things are wrought with prayer than this world dreams of, which I think is true. We don't know what prayer does because we can't see the effects of it. And yet if we stop to think about it, we can look back and be like, we prayed on Tuesday. We got a phone call on Wednesday. You can't leave that up to chance. God is active and working. More things are wrought with prayer than this world dreams of. And then U.S. Chaplain Barry Black said, when we pray, humanity cooperates with divinity. There are things we will never get except by request only. I pray we can hold on to that because as we begin to see the things that God is doing, we will be invited into more and go and seek more and ask boldly. James 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask I don't want to be a people that don't have because we're not asking. Now, one more problem that we might have, we might have with this, this issue is that um, as a culture, uh, we tend to dismiss personal experience as well. It's not just things that don't make sense. It's, it's people's story. Like, that's just the go-to. Like, that's great for you. 
that's doesn't what's true for you is good, but doesn't need to necessarily be true for me. And I don't know what to do with it, so I'm going to put it over here. Because really, if something cannot be replicated or quantified or empirically explained, we don't know what to do with it. We sort of we sort of push it aside. And yes, I think critical being critical is important. The Bible actually tells us to test the spirits. But the, the skepticism and the cynicism just dismiss things. I believe God is calling us to soften our hearts and just believe if God works through and in people, that people's experiences actually matter. And we should hear them and test them. And so I did. This week, I had a chance to go around and talk to a number of people. I had the chance to hear a number of stories. And I, I really had almost, there were a few, but Almost all the people could immediately pull up in their mind, I know when God moved in my life. God provided by a check in the mail that I was not expecting, that I needed for that bill that I couldn't pay. There's someone in the body who told me that they needed $1,600 cash, not a check, because they needed to give that money to somebody that, way, that day, and the check would have been too slow cash, and it happened. The person walked up and said, I don't know what to do with this. God's leading me to give this to you. And they're like, I know why you're here. Like, just <laughs> truly believing that God was acting. That's just financially, and I bet some of you have those stories as well. Some of you have been prayed for, and things have happened. That happened to me. We, we were, uh, years ago, our son Noah had nightmares. They were, they were terrible, horrible night terrors. And, and we had the elders of our church come and pray for us. And we had the youth group meeting at our house at the time. And they came and they walked through the whole house and they prayed for our whole house. And by golly, the, the, the nightmare stopped. Right? And I, I remember being like, why didn't I ask them to come earlier? <laughs> I know why. Because we don't, we don't think of this. Talk to another person. Um, I'm going to show this story, and I got permission to do this because, man, this story hit me. Um, Emily Flo, who's not here today because uh, she just had a baby, which is another miracle, praise God, that for another sermon. I would love to, but all time. Um, but uh, this was about seven or eight years, six, seven, eight years ago. We were at the cottage school, so if you've never been to the cottage school, this was a long time ago. I guess our window for being at a place is six years. That seems to be... <laughs> We should think that as next time. So, um, <laughs> But we were at the end of our time there, and um, Emily Flo had been battling crippling migraines. She was telling me, she's like, it had been so bad that there were more days in the month where she could not function than there were days that she could. It was unbearable. And it was a Saturday morning. She was getting ready to go to work, and she passed out in her bathroom from the pain. And she said, I don't know what my husband said to convince me to go to church the next morning, but we went. <laughs> And they were, I remember them sitting in the back of this much smaller cafeteria and um, in, their, in their camping chairs because, man, the chairs there were so uncomfortable. And um, they brought their own. So, and sitting back there, and she said she had finally come to a place where she was just plain angry. She was just plain done. And like, God, you could change this, and you're not. And she's just wrestling with him and fighting. And she said, somebody once said to her, when you cannot thank God, find something to thank God for. And so she started, she was sitting there in the chair and she's like, God, thank you that I have feet and legs that work and that move. She started working her way over her body. She got to her ears. She said, God, I thank you. I have ears that can hear. And immediately her ears started ringing. And she felt this weight come upon her. And she heard this audible voice, which she even, even telling me, she's like, I, 
I don't know what to do with this. She's like, he, he said, I'm going to heal you. And she started to cry. And her husband looks at her and says, like, we got to go. And she's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, what? He's like, get Matt. He's like, it's the middle of church. Like, get Matt. So they bring Matt over and they tell Matt what's going on. And when the service ends, he goes up and, and he kind of invites the body into what's going on. And, and we pray for her. One of the elders gets up and prays for her. And she said the minute that they were done praying, her ears popped, the ringing went away, and she was healed. And the pain was gone. And she was like, and this was, I love what she said. She's like, Jared and I uh, got in the car and they were on their way home. And they said, we cannot let Satan take this away from us. He's going to try to convince us this wasn't real. He's going to try to convince us that this wasn't what actually happened. A headache's going to come back and I'm going to be like, see, I knew it. She's like, God, please help us to be a stake in the ground of our lives that you did this. And I was like, man, what an awesome like, realization. Because we do look at healings as if it wasn't ultimate, it wasn't good. Lazarus was raised from the dead and he died again. Like, why do we assume that it's not, an, uh, it's not a temporal thing? She's like, yeah, the headaches came back a year later, but they weren't nearly as bad as they were. And that's, that experience was real. Praise God, we're a part of a church that's experienced the healing. Right? Amen. We, I, seriously. And we didn't even know it. And I pray that we can talk about it because it's real and it's accessible, guys. And I've experienced this personally. I remember as a kid, I was, it wasn't surprised that my son had nightmares. I had nightmares as a kid. Horrible, horrible night terrors. And I had my parents over for dinner the other night, and they were able to share with me some of their experiences of it. It was horrific. Like, it was real. I remember the physical, feeling the physical presence, seeing things. I was scared out of my mind. And they had someone come through the house and pray for us. And they would learn how to pray for me when a nightmare came. They would pray in the name of Jesus and it would go away. It was just beautiful. But you know what's amazing, guys? Is the nightmares actually stopped when Jesus came into my heart. Because the power of Jesus is so big that when he's in you, it's amazing. And I don't want to say that to... I know there's potentially some of you right now that are hearing this saying, like, it didn't happen for me. It's not working for me. And I don't know why it works for some. I don't know. I don't know why he walks past others. But what I want you to encourage you is, like, he's good. God is real. His word is true. And he is good. And he loves us. And he weeps with us like he did with Martha and Mary. I really hope as you read this passage that you are not burdened by something that you're missing out on. I really hope that this is something that you realize is actually accessible to us as children of God. That there's something there that can free you, that can lift you, use you, and move through you for other people. And that's the thing I love about Peter's message. We didn't get to talk about a sermon today, unfortunately. Uh, I encourage you to go back and read that again because it's really powerful. But one of the things he does in there is he uses a bunch of different names for the name of Jesus. Because, right, the name of Jesus isn't just Jesus. It's all of who he is. So he calls him the Holy and Righteous One because he is for us. He is our righteousness. We sing songs about that. He's called the author of life, which is crazy because he uses it in context to this ender of life, Barabbas, who they free when they end up killing Jesus. He's called the servant of the God of our fathers. He's called the Messiah. 
and a prophet like Moses. He is all of those things. And it's powerful. And if we look, and if we begin to ask, that's, I feel like all we can do from here is let's go start asking the question, Lord, where are you moving? I pray this week that if either in your community group or, or just with people around you, like you begin to stop and just reflect, where has God shown up? Where have I tried to explain away a miracle? Where have I tried to, to dismiss these things when he was working? I want us to pray boldly and fearlessly. I can't read this story and not want that. If I realize that the same power that did this is in me, I want this to be our story. I want to be like Peter and John, but you have to realize you cannot be like Peter and John until you realize that you're the lame beggar. You and I are the needy cripple who needs people to carry us to a gate, and outside of Jesus' movement towards us without any prompting on our own, we can't offer anything. But because he came to us, as the lame cripple, we now have the freedom to go and be Peter and John. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we come here every single week. We have to. We have to realize that we are in need of a Savior, that he did for us that which we could not do for ourselves. We have nothing, but because of Jesus, we have everything. And maybe he's calling you to something. Maybe you get to be the recipient of a miracle, which is amazing. But maybe you get to be the agent of a miracle. Right? Like maybe you get to be the person who walks up with a cast, a stack of money, or a check, or a meal when they didn't know what was going to happen or how they're going to make it. Or you just come and sit by them in the hospital when they, they're at the end of themselves. Or I really believe that when any time Jesus shows up in our world, it's a miracle. And my prayer is that we would begin to see that. We would let the reality of the gospel pour over us, that we were that lame beggar, that he, he lifted us up, and because of his power, we now can go. And I, it's this thing I just want to hold, like, we've been singing these songs all morning. I've been crying in the back there. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. He is stronger. We have at our hands... The, the power of the Spirit of God, and this is not something, by the way, this is not a name it and claim it sermon. This is not a prosperity gospel sermon. This is not a you get to now do whatever you want. No, the prayer is in the manner in which he would pray, but because if we, if we begin to know him and pray like him, we have this at us, in us, with us. I pray that we would grasp it. Let's pray. Jesus We so long to know and experience the power that you offered us. And we see it in your church. We read about these stories and they feel really far away, but God, they're not. And we pray that they wouldn't be. Open our eyes to see you moving. Lord, we need you. That's all we, that's we have to end here. We can't do this on our own. We need you and you give yourself willingly. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we ask that you would just help us to see you working and we would be listening to the stirring in us that we would be able to go out and love people in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is in your name we pray, Jesus.
Amen. If you know and love Jesus, this meal is for you. And we want to invite you to come forward. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not experienced his, his saving love in your life, what's stopping you? We invite you to come meet with me or one of the elders. We'd love to pray with you. But if you know him, then you know this meal is for you. You know that he loves you. So we want to invite you to come to the table.